I'm Danny. And this is episode 65 of Fried Squirms. A Friday the 13th episode. I mean, we're not dropping it on Friday the 13th, but... No, but it'll line up um, right. the week of. Yeah, yeah. So if you listen to it Friday instead of the Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday that it comes out, then, you know, it fits. Exactly. So we'll be a little bit ahead of the game, but we wanted to make sure that we hit this one just in time for when we release it. You know, I think that's what we do here. We stay ahead of the game. We try to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm excited about today's episode for a lot of different reasons. It's another way for us to revisit a franchise that we covered during our slasher run as well. Right. So back to Friday the 13th is the theme of this episode with Jason, Jason X. X. The 10th in the series. It's not just X to sound cool and edgy and extreme. Oh, X going to give it to you, though. It's Yeah. <laughs> And let's see, do you have any new news from this week? Uh, a little bit. Over the weekend, I mentioned to you a little bit before the podcast that I decided to support a independent project that's currently in the making. And it looks like it's going to be a fun one. There's several people from several movies that we've covered. There's a few people from Headless, the director, Arthur Cullifer, Ellie Church, and then Scott Shermer, the director from Bound is directing a new film, The Bad Man. So anyhow, I'm looking forward to that project. Picked up a couple of extra films, some from Unearthed. Got another magazine I showed you earlier. So yeah, yeah. just a little collecting, contributing, things like that. Yeah. Hell yeah. I have been mostly playing Far Cry 5. I can't oh, blame Also, you. it's dope. I'm just going to point that out. And uh, there's some really fucked up shit. And, like, some fucked up torture that's happening to the people wow. of Hope County, Montana, which, by the way, doesn't exist. It's uh, fictional. Fictional Montana. <laughs> In fact, there's... Oh, my God. So there's a reference towards the beginning of the game of Missoula, where we live, where this is all being recorded. We get a shout-out in Far Cry. <laughs> there, Yeah, there's a Missoula shout-out right in the very beginning. It's pretty much the only real town in Montana that's mentioned by name so far. Maybe something else comes up at some other point, but it's the only thing I've heard. Nice. But the reference is that they're going to head north and east, and Missoula should only be a few hours away. If you head a few <laughs> hours southwest of here, do you know where you end up? Probably somewhere in uh, uh, Idaho. Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> so I've actually been through that part to get to even, a hot spring. Even yeah. like walking, if you had a few hours... And they weren't talking about walking. They still had access to a vehicle at the time. Yeah, so in driving distance, no, you'll be in Idaho. Walking distance, that puts it, let's see, Ooh. a few hours walking southwest of here. Let's say more than a few hours, because like three hours walking yeah. would put you like just maybe on the other side of Blue Mountain, I would think. Yeah, I would imagine so, from that distance. All right, so I'm looking west right now, so I guess over Blue Mountain would be pretty much west from where we're at. So if we're going southwest, a few hours, that's going to put you barely outside town. Yeah, that, that, three hour Heading out a little bit towards Lolo. It's going to be between Missoula and Lolo somewhere. Oh, yeah, especially <laughs> that little stretch. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, right. Otherwise, if you're in a vehicle, that's going to put you in Idaho. So this is very fictional yeah, Montana. I agree. However, it would also put you only a little bit south of where I grew up. And I can believe that. Everything looks pretty good in the game. Nice. And they don't go really deep into 
a lot of the weird like redneck characterization and stuff. There's some here and there in some of the characters, and it's more just general and not necessarily Montana. Although there is an evil Knievel oh, nice. uh, stand-in. I can't remember what they call him off the top of my head, but it's obviously supposed to be based on, you know, yeah. good old Butte America's hometown hero. That's pretty awesome. Good old evil Knievel himself. I met him once. Really? Way back in the day. Nice. Had I didn't a, know that. Had his autograph on a bike helmet. I mean, he was a fucking big deal, man, for a long time. And there's mention of a testicle festival. Which I've been to, which is weird. So, yeah, they have the Testy Fest in Far Cry. That's pretty amazing. And so that's, <laughs> pretty that's awesome. some legit Montana right there. That is, for sure. So kudos if to If that them. sounds super weird to all you out there, yes, not far from where we are every year, there is a testicle festival where the consumption of Rocky Mountain oysters goes down. Exactly, and I don't take part in that. Rocky Mountain oysters, of course, being bull's testicles. Mm. Yummy in your tummy. <laughs> And that happens once a year, just like, what, like 14, 15 miles from here? Yeah, if that. So, yeah, everybody come out to the world-famous <laughs> Tesco Festival. Jesus. I'm enjoying Far Cry. That's awesome. I need to take more advantage of the fact that I got Shutter on my Roku, but I'll get to it. I'm almost finished with Helsing. I'm Good. excited about that, yeah. And we'll talk about it some on here when you do. Hell yeah. Jesus, yeah, I guess let's just get into Jason X. I feel like there was something else I was going to say, but... For those who do, I celebrated Ishtar yesterday. <laughs> so that's all about I have to say about this weekend. But looking forward to this film, talking about it, and our thoughts. Oh, wait. Oh, I remember. Because we forgot until the end of the episode last week. So let's put it out on Front Street this week. The new Jafar episode is dropped. Episode 3. Episode 3. If you... Want to not only just listen to <laughs> us, but want to see our beautiful faces. This is a project we are involved in with some of our friends from work who have been on this show they during certainly our have. Shining episode. Everybody involved in that is involved here, or you, you know what I mean. In fact, whatever I'm saying. Fucking stoned. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jafar and Fried Squirms. Yeah, so just a friendly reminder... It's especially relevant if you've ever been a grocery stalker at any point in your life, which is kind of one of those common growing up jobs, I would think. You know what yeah. I mean? That, I mean, that's, that's where I those, started. It's <laughs> one of those stereotypical, like, oh, yeah, I was a you know grocery stalker when I was young and then went to college. You know, that was my summer job. And, yeah. you know, so, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of you out there that can possibly relate to what's going on in these videos. <laughs> um, I hope so. <laughs> Uh, hopefully you don't relate too much oh to what's going gosh. on in these videos, and if you watch They're them, awesome. you will understand why. I can't wait. So that's, yeah, J-A-F-R, just a friendly reminder, on YouTube, For the Right Price Productions. <laughs> <laughs> Big shout out to Casey. <laughs> Speaking of just shout outs, we received some lovely, wonderful feedback. We did. On the Facebook we sure today. Did. So, hi Tori, thanks for listening to us. Yeah, thanks for messaging us and giving us some recommendations as well. That we're definitely going to keep in mind. Yeah, for good reasons. Yeah, great reasons. Great reasons. So, yeah, I think that's it. But let's get to Jason X. I'm super stoked for it. Oh, I know one other shout I don't want to give. No, yeah. fuck, fuck Jason X. X. You know why I almost forgot it? Because we're not sponsored by them, but I would like to be after buying their product. Oh, yes, sir. I know where you're going with this. Motherfuck. So, 
it's always been a part of this podcast that we're stoned when we do this, and while we're watching the movies, and while we're taking our notes. Basically, all the time. <laughs> it's why it's the fried squirms. We didn't talk about it ever in the beginning. It wasn't until we passed by our first 420 where it was the sort of... Between ourselves, we were like, cool, so <laughs> we passed 420. This is when we're just going to start like dropping in. Yeah, and, like, like... By the way, if you haven't figured it out yet, this is why these motherfuckers ramble on the way they do. <laughs> we do. We go off on tangents, but they're fun. But I treated myself this past week. You did. And bought a new vaporizer. And if the good people at Firefly would like to reach out and fucking like shower us with love and affection, we will talk about you all the time. You are damned right. Because the Firefly 2 is one of the finest experiences with herb I've ever experienced. Likewise, and it was my first experience right before we started recording, so I feel really relaxed. Just incredible efficiency. Highly recommended. Emphasis on the high. Dude, how stoned did you get off of 0.15 grams of weed? I was like... Is that was that it? Was that all you put in there? It's like some dust. <laughs> but that dust put me in the outer space. And just amazing taste. Yeah, wonderful it could cool definitely draw. Taste. Seriously, like I don't want to beg too hard, but we're not like, too proud to be. We beg. will suck you off every week. Just, just hit us up. Just keep that in mind. Like, keep it in mind. No, but in all seriousness, like that, I'm super happy. Yeah, I think it was. It's a, also a probably really a purchase. far more efficient. Not just efficient, but probably a far... Oh, my God. Efficient's right. This motherfucker's going to end up saving me money. Like, that's why I have no problem. Like, even though they're not a sponsor, I have no problem just, like, blowing them up right now. Because it might have been a little bit of an investment, but it's going to be worth every penny in the end. I totally agree with that. It's a big up. And it is going to pay for itself before the year's out with how efficient it is. (laughs) You have my word for sure. (laughs) I was going somewhere with that. Anyway, fuck it. Let's get to Jason X. That, X, go and give it to that's you. That's been clouding my mind for the past week. <laughs> I'm so excited that we're doing this movie. Let's get straight to the fucking Guts, uh, and, the guts and Bolts. Spoiler free, here's what went into the movie. Here's who went into the movie, basically. Behind the scenes and in front of the Cast camera. Cast and crew, yeah, all that good stuff. But first, a synopsis. Uh, let me see. I've been thinking about this one. Okay. Jason kills everybody in space. I like it. It's pretty simple. <laughs> Think future tense as well for this film. Even though this was, you know, like filmed in 2000, didn't come out until 2002, roughly. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, there was, uh, New Line Cinema came under new management while it was in the process of being released, and it sort of helped. Sat on the shelf a little bit, yeah. Sort of held up the process, but. That's okay. It didn't have to wait too long. So, very good synopsis. That's a sweet and simple way of explaining what this film was about. So, with that, I'd like to start talking about the people who were behind the scenes. Fuck yeah. So I know that you're going to have better notes than me on this anyway, too, because 
I kind of went to town on the movie itself. <laughs> no worries. But most of these people I didn't care about, to be honest. So, Well, we'll mention probably a lot of the reasons why. There's probably a good reason why. But starting with our director, we have James. He also goes by Jim Isaac. And he is our director for this film. Now, he's done films like The Horror Show. He's done Skinwalkers and a film called Pig Hunt. Moving on from our director, we have writers. Now, these characters are based off of Victor Miller, and Victor Miller... Now, first off, with the director, there is okay. one thing I want to mention, because I think it's kind of neat, and maybe something he's a little bit better at. Okay. As far as the director, as directing goes, yes, Jason X, Skinwalkers, which I never did see. Did you see it? I never got to see it. And the horror show, which, okay, so Jason X, by the way, this movie that we're covering... Generally considered to be the worst one in the entire franchise, right? Arguably, yes. I'm starting to think about what you've heard people say about it. Yeah, probably the worst one in the series. However, this dude did like creature attack on Return of the Jedi. Nice. And Gremlins. And he was special effects on Arachnophobia. Awesome. I know we've mentioned them a few times. And Existence. Existence, yeah. Which is fantastic Cronenberg film. Possibly explains a cameo. Uh, yeah, possibly. But he was the visual and special effects supervisor in Existence. Awesome. Which, I mean, that's a movie that relies a lot on the visuals and the visual effects in it. So, kind of kudos to him for things other than Jason X. That's pretty awesome. I mean, it just goes to show that... A lot of these people have more than one thing they specialize in. And here you go with Mr. Isaac. Oh, I believe he also worked on The Fly. Which, I mean, once again, special effects for fucking... It's amazing, even for that time period. Jeff Goldblum into a fly. That still strikes a nerve with a lot of people. Dude, I don't like watching that movie. It's so fucking disgusting. It is. But I, I like that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's really oh, awesome And also, Isaac. look who's talking too. Which I'll admit, I watched. A I watched ton all of when those. I, was a kid, I so. did too. I'm not gonna lie. Travolta and Kirstie Alley. Oh yeah, I've seen those. Mm-hmm. Bruce Willis too, with the like voicing, and Roseanne Barr. I think he's. And here's the thing. I think he also did like effects on like Enemy Mine. So he probably yeah, helped turn film. fucking who was it? Was it Lou Gossett Jr.? Yeah, it so sure was. He probably helped turn Lou Gossett Jr. into a fucking alien. How cool is that? <laughs> that like, is awesome. That's a film I grew up watching too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, cool uh, credits. Yeah. So, yeah, man. I was mentioning you know, some of the writers for this film. Victor Miller, I was saying that he's responsible for creating all of the characters. Now, I don't know if, you know, each one individually, but from the onset, the original, Friday the 13th, all the way through the series, he's responsible for the characters. Todd Farmer is the screenwriter for this film, and Todd Farmer is also an actor in this film. He plays the character Dallas. And Farmer has written... The scripts for The Messengers, My Bloody Valentine, that was the remake of like 2009. And then he was also responsible for writing parts of Drive Angry, the film. So, some pretty uh, cool credits. So, normally this is the type of trivia that we would get into, I think, a little bit later on in the How Does It Make You Squeal. But it sort of involves a little bit more behind the scenes than anything else. 
Apparently, Isaac and Farmer didn't get along. Ooh, yeah. To the point where Farmer was pretty much on set all the time and had to do extensive rewrites. Oh, I did see that. I did see where there was a lot of rewrites in the script. And not only that, but (laughs) I haven't listened to it. I now want to get the Blu-ray because of it. They do the commentary together and apparently just like take pot shots at each other through the commentary. That'd be fun to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's why I like listening to that kind of stuff. It's you never know what you'll get. Yeah, so I'm really kind of curious about that. And definitely sort of interesting. Yeah. Maybe explains a little bit of how this oh, and here's the thing. I guess Farmer wanted it to be more serious. I can like was making like a serious hard edge sci fi horror in space. And I'll point out a little bit later on what I think he might have been going for. Okay. I don't want to get into that now and while we're talking about the crew. and But there's a really interesting things to talk mm-hmm. about but, yeah, about this film. But Isaac wanted it to be more goofy. Low hokey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Comedic bent, almost. Yeah, it has its moments, well, which we'll definitely talk about, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so moving on from our writers, we have a cinematographer... This person is Derek V. Underschultz. Now, this person has worked on projects like Total Recall 2070, which was a 1999 television series. He's also been a part of the show 666 Park Avenue, which was a television series from 2012 through 2013. He's also responsible for doing some cinematography work on the show Starcrossed, which came out in 2014. And... Most recently, a show called Bull, which came out in 2016 and ran through 2017. Our editor on this film is David Handman. Now, he's worked on projects like The Wishmaster. We need to do that movie at some point. We've mentioned it because of Candyman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, he's also worked on the project Carnival of Souls, which was the 1998 adaptation, because there's one that came out much earlier. He's also responsible for editing on the film Maniacs. The music in this film, now we definitely need to mention this person because. Well, because we've mentioned him before. We have. Henry Manfredini did the music for most of the Friday the 13th movies, and of course, did the infamous score from the first. Oh, no doubt. And, I mean, that triggered like a long career afterward. He's been composing music. I mean,. All the way up through more recently, you know. That's pretty amazing, so. Also did things like, well, John Carpenter's 1982 Swamp Thing. Yeah. Oh, let me see what else. House. The Hills uh, Have Eyes Part 2. Slaughter High. Wishmaster. The Anna Nicole Smith story. Oh, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> I mean, you look at some of these films. Uh, Aces, Iron Eagle Part 2, War of the Worlds, a television series. And even the music for the Friday the 13th game that came out not too long ago. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Which I keep meaning to play. I haven't yet. I feel kind of like a bad horror fan for having not at least tried it. But it'd still be kind of cool to check out. But, I mean, Far Cry called, so. Yeah. I heard it from afar and I had to follow, so. He'll be in that for a bit. But that's pretty cool, man. Like I said, he's even got some projects that are in post and pre-production. Even some completed projects that are coming out here in the near future, so. Manfredini, he's still pumping out the music and the tunes. Kicking the jam- kicking out the jams. Kick out the jams! Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. But yeah, his film credits are pretty impressive. All right. Our producer on this film, there's several of them. Noel Cunningham 
is responsible for being the main producer. We have Sean S. Cunningham. Does that name ring a bell? Cunningham's? He was the original director for the 1980 Friday the 13th. And Noel is his son. Gotcha. Okay. I'm kind of curious now how much he was actually involved then. I think his son was more involved than he was. Was more involved and they gave him the credit so that he'd get the the above-the-line credit to make money off of it. Oh, yeah. Some residuals. Yeah. (laughs) Don't blame him. And James Isaac, I think. Which, look, that's, I mean, that's what you do, especially if it's the guy that, you know, originated it and stayed on with it for so long. You keep trying to do it right, but. (laughs) Give credit where it's due, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and James Isaac was also, I think, a co-producer on this film. Our special effects team is Global Effects Incorporated and Toy Box and Toy Box were responsible for the digital film and visual effects on this film. Now, there is an interesting person who worked on this project, and we've mentioned it before. It's mentioned in our Scanners episode, and this person is Stefan Dupuis. Oh, okay. He was a part of the effects team that worked with Dick Smith on Scanners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I was like, awesome, he worked on this project. Because of Cronenberg. Our production companies first, we have New Line Cinema. They presented this film. Crystal Lake Entertainment, Friday X Productions, and Sean S. Cunningham Films all produced this film. Distributors were Alliance Atlantis Communications for the 2002 Canadian theatrical release, and New Line Cinema for the 2002 USA theatrical release. Budget for this film was estimated between 11 and $14 million, which is... That actually kind of surprises me. I felt so. like this was kind of an effects-heavy film. It, yeah, I, for sure it was. But then... Hmm, Ooh, now that I think about it, though, a lot of the sets kind of feel like they could have been the same, like, 20 things just shifted around or is in I can different see that. rooms. So, and I, it definitely felt like that for a lot of the film. I'm going to get into where I think they cut corners when we get into the how did that make you squeal. <laughs> All right. I can see where they cut corners, but for where they cut corners, there are kind of a lot of effects in this movie. There are. Starting even in just the opening credit sequence, to be honest. the I mean, I don't want to get too far into the movie, but they sort of travel through Jason's body in a giant CG sequence. They do. For like two minutes. It's really neat. So, the opening sequence is really neat. I like it. So, it does, I mean, I see where they cut corners, but it still kind of surprises me that the budget was that Yeah, long. that's a pretty reasonable budget for I would 2000. Have, I would have guessed $25 million. Wow. I don't know if I, I don't think I would have guessed that. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back was $25 million. <laughs> Yeah, that's hard to believe, too, for that, really. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's a whole different subject. All right. So we mentioned the budget, $11, $14 million, somewhere in that range. Opening weekend here in the States had made $6.6 million. It grossed domestically here in the States, $13.1 million. If you factor in worldwide, it made $3.8 million for a total gross of around $17 million. So it... Broke a little bit more than even, but not necessarily a success either by any stretch. I'm wondering, I mean, we got the budget of the movie itself, but I'm wondering what they spent in advertising. Because they would have had to recoup those costs. Yeah, so if you factor in, they're probably still in debt. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to guess they probably spent at least... I have no idea. If they spent over $3 million in in advertising, then... They didn't even break even. Sucks. (laughs) But, you know, shit happens, I suppose. Okay. 
It had several release dates. Its premiere was July 24th, 2001, at the München Film Festival in Munich, Germany. München, Deutschland. April 16th, 2002 Deutschland, in Canada. Oh, let me mention an Uber a little bit. <laughs> April 26, 2002, here in the United States, has several taglines. I wrote down two of them. Well, actually, no, I actually wrote down three. I'm, I'm lying. All right, so I'll run through all three of them. First one I have, Evil Gets an Upgrade. Okay. Number two. I, you know, I want to put a pin in that, too. Remember that tagline for something I'm going to mention later on in the spoiler section. It definitely makes sense. <laughs> I, already, I think I know where you're going with that. Number two. Welcome to the future of horror. Okay. That's a better tagline, I think. Number three. Unless it was going to get a release date, this kind of doesn't make sense. <laughs> All right. This Halloween, meet the perfect ten in terror. Okay. <laughs> even on a poster (laughs) wow and this was released in april (laughs) that's what i'm saying well i i I do know this i do know this that it had four different release dates before it finally got an official so the first one had to have been or one of them had to have been you know for a halloween or near halloween release yeah somewhere between 2000 and 2002 i would imagine a friday the 13th or somewhere close to it Mm-hmm. around that time. Well, it makes sense. But, yeah, it doesn't make sense given those facts now. Alright, so that rounds out the people behind the scenes. Now we can talk about people in front of the screen. Jesus. On okay. screen. Oh, so <laughs> the biggest draw is going to be the fact that this is one of the Kane Hodder Friday the 13th. Yeah, he's appeared in four of the Friday the 13th. This was his final appearance as um, Jason. Not just final appearance, but technically, canon-wise, I believe this is the last of the original storyline. This is the last Friday the 13th. That would make sense. Uh, this technically takes place after Freddy vs. Jason. Exactly. Even though it came out, like... Before? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I know why it got caught up in limbo hell mm-hmm. before it could finally get put out. But you're right. I mean... This was supposed to supersede that. So, as far as from the first movie, Friday the 13th, all the way through up here, this is the last story about that Jason. Makes absolute sense. Oh, so Kane Hodder took him through to the end then. He did. He did. I mean, he wasn't there all the way. We said he was only in four of them, but that's 40% of 10. Yeah. (laughs) And arguably some of the better ones in, in this franchise. So, also the worst. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> balance, man. You got to have yeah. balance, right? <laughs> so you mentioned Kane Hodder, and he does play Jason Voorhees and the Uba Jason, which we'll mention a little bit later on. Now, Kane Hodder has also played some pretty interesting roles in other horror franchises. He's been in Hatchet as Victor Crowley. I did watch the first one because I do own it, but it was also streaming on, I believe, Hulu. So I was like, yeah, man, it's pretty good. Pretty decent little slasher. Well, he's the only person to have been all three, right? Of the big three? I believe you're right, man. Or I don't don't know if you'd call it the big three, because he still hasn't been Michael Myers, which would be like the Uh, big four of slashers. But he's got three of the four, and he's the only one to even have come that far. That's a lot. Because he, of course, Jason Voorhees in four movies. 
he was Leatherface during the stunts yes. of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. That's awesome. And he was Freddy's hand at the very end of Jason Goes to Hell Final Friday. That's awesome. <laughs> so he has been Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, and Leatherface. That's awesome, dude. Which is insane. <laughs> Yeah, so kudos to him, and Kane Hodder's, I mean, he's a towering figure, and he's known presence, man. There's no doubt about that. So moving on from Mr. Hodder, which is, like I said, a big draw on this. There's another draw. Oh, makes a cameo. We've already mentioned him, but David Cronenberg does play Dr. Wimmer in this film, and there's a reason, and we touched a little bit on the fact that Isaac had did some special effect work on, I think, several of his projects, Cronenberg's projects. And as a favor... Cronenberg was like, yeah, I'll make a guest appearance as long as you give me a certain scene that he wanted in this film. And so he gets it, and we'll talk about it, but that's a spoiler I don't want to mention right now. Anyhow, Cronenberg does make a cameo appearance at the Very beginning of this film. Cameo. He does. There's another person who's also been involved with Cronenberg, and that's Robert A. Silverman. He plays Dieter Perez. We mentioned that, too. I don't scandals. know who any of the characters' names are in this movie, except for Brodsky, to be honest. I try to remember, <laughs> but there are a lot of them. Right, I'll mention this. It should be a known fact by now. Even though this, I think, gets a lot of states' credits, this is a Canadian project through and through. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And so, what is it? With Canadian filmmaking laws, you have to have so many Canadian actors or something. Oh, well, like I think that, they got so. a good bit of them. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. A lot of these are Canadian actors and actresses in this film. And I mean, they do a really good job. Don't get me wrong. I've seen a lot of credits that they've been in. So our next person I want to mention in this film is Alexa Doi. So speaking of Canadian, I know her mostly because of being in season five of Arrow as Talia Al Ghul. Yeah, she certainly is. Which is shot in Toronto. Where this was shot. Quinky dinkly. No. People who are familiar with certain sci-fi series, they've probably seen her in Andromeda. She was also in the show Continuum. And there was another show I wanted to mention, too. Oh, well, you mentioned Arrow, which, I mean, Talia Al Ghul, that's a huge... Yeah, role. they're... Fuck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Talia, really? Awesome. Dope. So good. Smallville? Daughter of the Demon? Yeah. That's great. Yeah, she's been in some pretty cool projects. Oh, Stargate, SG-1 was the other one I wanted to mention, too. Where I believe that's where she met her husband, which is kind of neat. Okay, so the next actress I wanted to mention in this film, she plays KM14. Hmm, 14? It's Lisa Ryder. And Lisa Ryder, also another Canadian actress. You might have seen her in Andromeda. She was also part of Earth, Final Conflict, the film Forever Night. She was also in uh, The Strain, which is another GDT production. I'd mentioned that I've been keeping up with a little bit. I need to fucking finish it. It's what I need to do. I need to finish a lot of shows. But, uh, yeah, that's Lisa Ryder. The next person... Now, I do want to point out, with Lisa Ryder yeah. and Lexa Doig both being in Andromeda, in Andromeda, Lexa was the oh, android, yes. and Lisa was the human. That's pretty cool, yeah, and it's not really a spoiler, but no, in this film... spoiler. Yeah, in this film, they reverse that, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Okay, the next person I wanted to mention, this is kind of a really interesting credit. He does have a pretty big role in this film. Now, this gentleman is Jonathan Potts. He plays Professor Brandon Lowe. And when I looked at some of his credits, I was kind of curious. You know, I like to go back a little bit and look at some credits. And there was a few that struck me. And I was like, hold on. This explains a little bit of my childhood. 
because I did grow up watching a lot of cartoons that were adapted from video games, and there were several of them. So one of the first ones, he actually voiced Link in the Legend of Zelda television series. Grew up watching that. He went on to do additional voices in The Adventures of Super Mario Brothers Part 3, the television series. I mean, he also went on to do Captain N, the Game Master, once again as Link. And then he went on to do a lot of television series. He was a part of uh, Swamp Thing, the television series, back in 1991. In the Swamp Thing animated series, not the television series. Oh, you're right, yeah. He was also in a book that got adapted into a television series. Because I grew up reading a series of books called The Busy World of Richard Scarry. Oh. Yeah, and it was just basically a bunch of animals... That were normal people living in a busy town, and each one focused on a certain character doing their daily life. So it's kind of interesting. A lot of shit to keep up with, especially if you have ADD. <laughs> but he went on to do, I mean, some other stuff. Degrassi, The Next Generation. <laughs> that uh, was kind of funny. A direct-to-video prequel to Cruel Intentions. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> he was also in The Strain as Captain Doyle Redfern. I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool, man. But more significantly for the fact that he voiced Link and the fucking Legend of Zelda. I watched that stuff growing up. It was a part of uh, the Super Mario Brothers show. Yeah. And that was really cool. So there was one other person, well, two other people really that I should mention. And the rest are just kind of, I mean, there's a lot of people in this film. One of them better be Peter Mensah. It certainly is. It certainly is. Because for me, that's a huge draw into this movie. It is, especially Um, when you know his credits. I was a giant fan of both 300 and of the Star Series Spartacus. Which was really good. I caught the first two seasons of that. In Spartacus, he, of course, is Animaeus. Yeah, the trainer. sort of trainer who is like the coolest badass with a whip. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He'll fuck you up. <laughs> he will fuck your world up. And 300. Oh, shit. Was he? Oh, my God. I feel I feel bad now after just saying how big of a fan I was. But he was the guy that gets fucking Sparta kicked, right? I want to say, yeah, he was the messenger. The guy. He was the messenger. Yeah. I just, I remember what his face looks like in it, like with the very contrasted lighting and all the filters and shit <laughs> oh, that yeah. Zack Snyder used in it. Like, I'll never forget his face. <laughs> and it was used in the trailers for the movie, if I remember right. So Yeah, you're absolutely right. But yeah, he's, you're right, he he's got Sparta. the first things that I saw about that fucking movie. Was, Do you think maybe that's why he got Spartacus? Maybe a little bit of typecasting. <laughs> it's okay. He was great in both, though. I also remember seeing him in Hidalgo. Yeah, that's a pretty decent I was excited film. for Hidalgo because I dug Vigo. Nice. Yeah. All right, the next person that I do want to mention, it's because of my childhood once again. This person is Chuck Campbell. He plays Sunaran. And the credit I want to mention, there's a few. He was in The Mouth of Madness. He was in Superstar. Superstar. Yeah, Superstar. I fucking love that movie. That movie's goofy as shit, but it's so good. So funny. Will Ferrell. Oh, my God. I was just talking about... Molly Shannon. Me and Patrick, who have been on the show in our Shining episode, go check out our Shining episode. We're just talking about that movie the other day. And fucking... Not just Will Ferrell as himself, but as Jesus. Oh, my God. Damn, dude. That is so funny. (laughs) It's so good. That movie's so good. And it's just based off an SNL skit. Yeah. Which they did a lot of in the 90s. It was just really cool. But the... Thing that brings him back to my childhood, and this is Chuck Campbell, 
was that he was in a television series that took place in Canada. Now, if you were a product of the 80s and or 90s, you might have caught a show on Nickelodeon called Are You Afraid of the Dark? And he was in the episode The Tale of the Dark Dragon from 1993 as Keith Saunders. And I was like, you know what? That guy looks so familiar when I was watching this film. And then I started looking at the credits. It's like, you know what? I probably saw him all the way back when I was watching Are You Afraid of the Dark? Because I'm a product of that time period. So, yeah, that's one guy I did want to mention. I think that would be kind of a fun topic to talk about at a much later date. But a lot of people... Oh, for sure. Absolutely, without a doubt. I said there's a lot of people we're really not mentioning. We'll probably mention throughout. But this... I mean, there's a lot of people in this film. Anyhow... Those are more or less some of your main players in terms of oh, the cast. Yeah, there was one other that I wanted to mention. Yeah, I'll go. Uh, no uh, doubt. No doubt. Uh, Dove Tiefenbach. Plays Azrael in this film. Uh, mostly because he... He's been in some pretty cool projects. I did he's see his, been in a yeah. lot of cool stuff. I'm just looking at his... Some of his filmography credits. right now and his credits. But for whatever reason, I'm never, ever going to forget him. He has a very... Distinct look. Yeah. Distinct look. He was the kid at the lake in Tommy Boy. Yeah, I did see that. There was actually a couple people in this film that were in Tommy Boy, believe it or not. He was in Harold and Kumar. Kumar. Yeah, yeah, go to White Castle. Who ha- if, you're, if you're like us, <laughs> you probably have seen that film numerous times. I would hope you have. But as I was watching this movie, I was just like, oh, oh my God. Like, I'll never forget what he looks like because motherfucker was in Tommy Boy and he just looked the same. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know what I mean, though. I know what you're saying. But it's really cool. Like I said, there's a lot of cool people in this. I'll probably mention them a little bit later on in our squill section. But in terms of our cast and crew, this is what I have. We've mentioned a brief synopsis. What we should mention are some warnings. Warnings. Let's see. This falls into everything that slasher series do as they go on. Exactly. Uh, so there is going to be boobs for boobs' sake. Boobs for Not boobies. a lot of them. It's toned back because this is 2001. This isn't the height of boobs for boobs' sake era. I concur. Boobs, so there's not blood. as many as there could be, but there's boobs for boobs' sake. Blood. There's some good gore effects. There are. But there, are. there is some, but there's not a lot of on-screen violence. Yeah, I would agree. There's It has its moments of violence, though. Yeah, there's definitely some here and there. In fact, there's some of the cooler kills in the series in this movie. I want to throw this out here. Literally cooler. Literally cooler. Oh, exactly. That's what I want to talk about. There is something I do want to mention. This is a little bit spoilerish, but I have a notion that there was some fondling in this film. So there's some fondling that goes beyond acting, I believe, in this Ooh, film. Oh, I think I know exactly where you're talking about. Yeah, I want to uh, talk about that later on, but do you want to throw that out there? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> and a little bit of language, but Yeah, there's much. language. I mean, it's mostly Canadian, so they're polite. Yeah, they're very polite. <laughs> they're very polite. I love Canadians, which I'll probably talk about a lot in the next section. But yeah, I think it follows, think like you said, the slasher trope. So if you're familiar with slashers, you'll be right at home with this film. Exactly, yeah. Pretty much. This is just, just in a space, slasher more in a little, space. Yeah, it's just a little bit more on the sci-fi bent. It's Jason. Yeah. If you do you know who Jason if is? If you don't know how Friday the 13th movie goes, what are you doing listening to our horror Yeah, podcast? there's been nine Go films. listen to our one about the good Jason movie Part first. four. Final chapter. That wasn't the final chapter. Because <laughs> we're still Not talking about it. Not final chapter at all. This is six movies later. <laughs> yeah, think about that. I think that was kind of funny. They were being optimistic back then. <laughs> Very, yeah. For, uh, optimistic for all of us. Okay. Let's get into how it's made a squeal. Are you I, ready? I, I'm... I'm bursting at the fucking seams, dude. Me too. I'm ready to squeal. 
God, what's happening to me? Oh God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what? What's going on? Oh Jesus, come on! Oh my God, what's what's going on? Where where am I? Oh gee, why why? Come on, somebody, somebody! Ah, come on, come on, come on! Come on, somebody! Sir, come on, somebody, somebody's there! Somebody's gotta be there! I will shock you! Come on, sir! Sir, you must listen to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? I think it's time to squeal on number 65. Jason X. Jason X. So, before it sounds like all I'm going to do is shit on this movie, I keep being the one to bring up the fact that like this is probably the worst received out of all the Friday the 13th movies. Possibly for good reason. We'll get into that. Arguably so, yeah. I want to start this Jason X... How'd this make you squeal? With possibly the most controversial statement I have ever issued on one of our episodes. Wow, okay. Uh, And this is... I mean, just a few weeks ago, we did an episode where I had to mention that somebody was throat-fucking a decapitated head. (laughs) Very true. So check out our headless episode, if you like that. I feel like we could lose listeners over this. Well, bear with us. Jason X is my favorite Friday the 13th movie. (laughs) (laughs) nothing wrong with that man i'm sure there's a lot of people who love this movie jason x is my favorite of the entire franchise i've admitted several times that my favorite friday the 13th film is part six jason loves which by the way will be the next one we do because of that reason whenever we get around yeah we'll get around to it's not a big deal but i'm glad that we are talking about jason x for a couple of reasons so keep that in mind because i'm probably going to still end up shitting on this movie a little bit Part of the reason I like it is because it is truly a movie that is so bad it's good. It For me. For me. Maybe it doesn't do it for everybody, but... I'm going to mention, put a little pin mark by that statement, okay. too, because I had that written down later on. So with that in mind, keep in mind, too, this film came out 2002 here in the States. I think I caught this probably around 2003 and or four, somewhere around that time period. I think it was either in New York or out of New York. I can't remember. For me, it would have been whenever it hit HBO for the first time. I had HBO Probably just shortly time. thereafter, yeah. So, 2002, 3-ish. Yeah, during that time period, I had HBO. Whenever this came on, fuck, I can still tell you. I don't remember, like, what day it was or anything like that. What I remember... By the way, this is a spoiler section, so we're going to have to get... Something's going to get spoiled right away. Yeah, spoilers, we give spoilers. How I fucking discovered this movie. I'm fucking flipping through the stations, and I'm like... Oh, shit, is that Jason? Okay, cool. I wonder which one this is. That guy looks kind of like a fucking Starship Trooper. What the hell is going on? (laughs) Oh, shit, he just fell onto a giant screw. Maybe I should keep watching this. And then two minutes later, when they say he's screwed, I lost my shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Ah, God, I'm I'm glad you mentioned some of that stuff. I want to mention this several times, but there are a lot of puns in this film. They throw that shit at you right in your face, too. I mean, it's it's not like it's hidden, <laughs> you know? So I was like, all right, I see where this is going again. So that was the first thing I ever saw of this movie. That's awesome. And then I just, I watched most of the rest of it, and then I caught the whole thing the next time that I saw that it was coming on. This was back in the day when I still had to go consult the guide to see when it was coming <laughs> on next. And shit, We've talked so. about the guide, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're, we're both familiar. Yeah, so with this film too, like I said, early 2000s, 
think it was introducing CGI in a lot of scenes. You talked about that a little bit earlier in the credits. Like, there's a lot of CG in this, yeah. and it's not really that bad either. No, it's not. It's not the worst. No, no, not by any stretch. I think it has its really good moments. I will say this: when I'm watching this film now, it didn't feel like a theatrical release type of film. It felt more like a direct-to-video. I will absolutely agree with that. Slash made for sci-fi channel. Yeah, it felt... But that's not discrediting this film by any stretch is what I'm getting at either. It's like, I can see probably why it didn't do as well in the box office as anticipated. It didn't do awful, but it didn't do as good as anticipated. But keep that in mind too. Like, if like you stay within that frame... acting might have had a problem... The acting, or had a part to do with that. Yeah, but it wasn't bad either. I mean, I it's, feel like the only person in this that really put in a really good performance was probably Doig. Yeah, she did a really good job. She was solid the entire time. Campbell had his moments. The guy who played Sunron, mm-hmm. Lisa Ryder, who played KM. I thought she did. Ryder did decent. good. She just had kind of a weird part. Well, yeah. I mean, she's playing. In right. Yeah, Ryder did really good. She just had kind of a weird part. And Mensa. Yeah, he's good. He did. He was great. really good. Yeah, he did great. I mean, the guy we talked about, Voice Link, he had his moments. He did fairly decent. Which, however, that's the thing. Like, we just named off like five people that did a good job in this movie. That means we didn't name like twelve other people. Yeah, not that they were bad. They just had smaller parts, and you know, they they did what they had to do. Well, and that just sort of shows you the ratio of how many people were actually doing a good job. It's not like we named off five, and so no. oh, that makes it a good movie. All right, it's. The time in this movie is split between, like, 12 characters. It is. I mean, this movie is kind of segmented in groups of people, depending on what their, I don't know, their status is. Like, some are students, some are mechanical people, people who fly the ship, and then there's other people who stand guard, you know? Mm -hmm. So you have, like, three different groups of people that you have to follow around in certain parts in the film. I feel like where this movie kind of fails overall as a horror film, because there's nothing to make you scared. Not necessarily. There's nothing to really ratchet up the tension in any way. I would agree. I mean, it has its moments of chase. You know, chase tends to pump up adrenaline, but this didn't... I mean, you were confined, so it wasn't like you were going to (laughs) go too far. Well, okay, so I want to mention that. There was chase, but it didn't really build tension because... One thing I noticed going throughout this you movie bump into people. <laughs> is that, well, here's the other thing. There's no, they don't ever take time to establish the space in which all this movie is taking place. You know nothing about this ship, and they don't take time to show you anything about it. Most of the areas they move into, they're moving into for both the first and last time. A lot of There's hallways. very few sets that are reused. Yeah, just a lot of, it. like you said, there's just a lot of corridors you're running through and even in the room open rooms it's used multiple times several times in the film and so so the movie definitely fails because it's trying to set up tension because they're being hunted through the ship but it's like the ship is just being randomly generated the entire time and so you don't feel tension from them being herded into a corner because you don't know where (laughs) any of the corners are exactly Perfect way to describe it. And you don't care if they're being hunted to begin with because there's 12 crew members or, you know, I'm... There's a lot of people on this. I don't know if that's actually accurate. I doubt it. Well, it was Easter recently, so... (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 
I don't know if that's correct or not, but there's a shit ton of there, people in this there's movie. There's quite a few people. And none of them you're given enough time with to give a shit about. No. For the most part, they're just... I hate to say it like this, but they're kind of throwaway characters. A lot of them are. The character you're probably given the most time with is the bad guy. Or the bad guy. I mean, I don't know what you would call him, but the guy that was about to sell them all out for to try to... The professor. Yeah. Yeah. All he was looking at, you're right, he was trying to make a buck off the fact that he found two people from our generation, mm-hmm. from our time period, in the distant future. Apparently, he, like he said, he wants to sell them off. He wants to catch a few bucks on the market. Yeah. He has so a prized possession, too, by the way. He probably ends up having almost the most amount of time and character development in this entire movie. Yeah, we learn he almost. has kinky fetishes, <laughs> which is pretty hot. You pass! Yeah. Oh my gosh. Alright, alright, alright. I'll admit this, right? Because we are on a podcast. We have our moments. I've been to Canada. We've talked about Canadian people. Nice people. Beautiful people. I was like, yeah, these girls are definitely Canadian, right? Cute. Little beady eyes. I was like, I would not have rejected that offer to, to pass her in my class. No. I'm getting that. I mean, it was some weird shit going on, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> okay, so I do want to point out, though, that the, the ways that this movie fails in creating any sort of tension sort of set it up for the reason why it's my favorite. This is the horror movie equivalent of sitting down and watching Shark Week. Good point. <laughs> this is yeah. essentially... Jason isn't just like this force lurking from the shadows where in most of the other movies there seems like there might be some way to stop him most of the other movies there seems like there's something you can do exactly you have options it's very you know they're somewhat grounded this one he's basically a force of nature oh yeah he's badass he is just the top of the food chain in this entire movie there's there's no moment where he couldn't just wipe them all out yeah once again, he can be behind any corner because you don't know where the corners are because they're not building any tension in that yeah. way. He can just be there Good because point. there's a lot of crew that they have to kill off over the course of this movie. So you Surprise, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of that. I thought it was kind of neat. But... And so that's part of why I really like this movie because, I mean, arguably the best of the franchise doesn't even involve Jason. Yeah, I mean, other than the cat as being the catalyst. That's a good point, man. And then why, by the time you get to Jason, for me, it was something that never really scared me. It was more of just a cool character. So I love getting to see him just unleashed. Oh yeah, when he goes full frenzy. I think for people who do have a, when I say relationship, I mean you know, depending on where you kind of fit in in the franchise. I don't know, man. I don't know if I was ever scared of him. Maybe there were moments, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel like that dread of getting chased or whatever. But this one it does have a little bit more of, um, we mentioned a little bit more hokiness because there are moments of intermittent comedy, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. And like, like they have these lines where, uh, like Mensa has a line where he's getting stabbed. Oh my God. And then Peter he gets... Mensa's death. Yeah. Or apparent death. Yeah, apparent death, right. He's like, it's going to take more than just that one stab. And then he gets stabbed again. Oh, he's like, oh, that'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> I'm like, oh man. <laughs> So he has that line, 
And then there's lines, I think even KM, Lisa Ryder, has a line too. Oh, like half of her lines in this movie so are hokey. just ridiculous because she's an android. I mean, it all fits. It's just that... Yeah, I mean, then that's the thing. It's like, you could see right there maybe the detraction from Isaac's view of what this film should be and what Todd Farmer wanted this film to be. <laughs> I can kind of see that division. There's moments, too, a little bit where I felt like some of the influences were bleeding through. And what I mean by that, there was a moment where I felt they were trying to go maybe a little bit on that Event Horizon narrative. Well, oh, I almost pointed out Event Horizon with regards to how the ship is set up. Because we just recently covered Event Horizon. We did. And one of the good things that they did in the very beginning of that movie is they took the time to explore the space and show you the confines in which all of this movie was going to take place. And so it made it so that you knew these characters were stuck in these different zones amongst these It had time to develop a narrative, yeah, of... The this parameters, doesn't yeah. do that. It, you're just you're right. you're thrown running into through it. a random ship. <laughs> yeah, you have really no sense of what the hell is going on. I don't know if it was lack of production or, you know, time to find set. I don't know, who knows, but you're right. It, it's lacking in that area. Now, I felt like there was also, I caught references throughout this. Oh, you um, can't help it. It's, it's awesome, <clears throat> though. Maybe more because... We can talk about them. The writer. Todd Farmer, yeah. Farmer. His character? He wanted to go a little bit more serious with the script. Okay, we did mention this. So, I feel like he was sort of trying to take it on an alien spin. Mm-hmm. He used a couple of names. Well, Rowan is basically Ripley. She's a t- fought the antagonist once before. Exactly. Is yeah. frozen for a long length of time. Yep. And comes back in a situation where she ends up winning... Because of her familiarity and all the people around her, although slightly competent, are just too unfamiliar with the situation to assess it in time. Precisely. So that's a really good character (laughs) analyzation of who she's supposed to be. His character's name, Dallas, is based off of a character in Alien. Yeah, that's straight Alien right there. Exactly. (laughs) Here's another really cool reference back actually to another film. Friday the 13th, part one and two, there's a character, Alice, played by Adrian King. And Adrian is a character in this film who gets that infamous liquid nitrogen smash. Oh, let's talk about that for a second, because okay. that might be one of the coolest so kills. So that in actress is Kristen Angus. I do know that. So here's something, too. I want to talk about the buildup leading into that particular moment, the smash. How fucking dope is that? That scene is amazing. The scene... Leading up to it, though, I want to talk about just for a brief moment, because I mentioned in the Mm -hmm. credits, in the warnings, I felt like there was an inappropriate groping sesh going on. When he's hauling her over, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, He was getting handfuls. That's what I'm getting at. Like I I don't know if that was warranted. because of him getting handfuls, you get a flash of nipple for just a second. Yeah, I think there is a nip slip. I was like, you know, I'm not really mad at him, but, you know, it's not appropriate either. Dude, that jumped out at me, too. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Was yeah. that... Is, I was is pretty forceful. Jason supposed to be groping her? That's what I was thinking. <clears throat> I was like, did Kane Hodder really get into character? Like, what's going on here, man? But that was kind of weird. That was a weird moment in the film for me. Now, there's one other thing about that scene that I wanted to bring up, and I'm glad that you gave me a good way to segue, because I feel like it was one of the sort of arguably genius part of this movie. Because this is all happening because, you know, Jason's on that fucking... 
He's in the research he's in facility. The, yeah, he's he in the research facility. He wakes up. Quiet, yeah, now, he exactly. wakes up when Crutch yeah. and What's-Her-Face start getting it on. Oh, and it wasn't Crutch. It was Anna. Oh, it's, it's Kinsa and Stony. That Stony. Stony. So the midterm thing has happened before this. So you can be like, oh, whatever. You know, he's not punishing sex. However, they didn't have anything to do. I know you're going you go with this. This is funny. In the Friday the 13th lore, Jason died because the counselors weren't paying attention when he was because. drowning because they were off having sex. Exactly. Now, these two <laughs> were supposed to be in the lab. Right. They were getting hot and heavy petting, and Adrian told them, go off, come back when you guys can take this serious. Yes. So their students that are off having sex when they're not supposed to, when they're supposed to be, be watching, watching him. Exactly. And that's what brings him back. You know, the, the precise moment that brings him back is when my boy, Stoney, I wonder where he got the name from, he starts taking her underwear downtown, right? Mm-hmm. And she has that little sigh, you know, that moment of ecstasy. That, ah. And as soon as that echoes throughout that fucking, the whole of the ship, he, he pops up. <laughs> I mean, which is kind of funny, too, when you think about that. Like, he wasn't the only one who popped up in that scene, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean. I thought that that was kind of like, whether it was intended like that or not, I thought that was kind of down it was, genius. Yeah, it was. It's, it's unique, especially for what we do. We take the time to kind of analyze that stuff. And it's cool when, when they pull that stuff off. To bounce back to influences shining through, this actually ties in a little bit with the score. Fantastic score in this movie, by the way. Manfredini keeping it up. He certainly did. Finds very interesting ways to still layer in the... Classic uh, moment. Throughout it all. But also, during the sequence when they're first starting to like load Jason into the research bay and they're bringing Lexi Doig back, mm-hmm. it's Rowan. basically watching Next Generation. <laughs> yeah. Down to the score. Manfredini goes super like Star Trek y in the score right there. I even felt there were moments in this film where it felt a little Star Trek y. And there's no and that's the only scene where there are enough people in uniform to make it seem like they had any sort of fucking standards on that ship. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's funny. I do want to segue back into what we were talking about, the lead in, because I know we went around the whole the we went around the whole block just to get to this point. But when Adrian goes through the liquid nitrogen, her face freezes, mm-hmm. then Jason takes the time to smash her face. Leave that nice bloody splat, and I pick her up, and you see like where her face is missing. Essentially, just tosses her aside, and that's when shit really hits the fan. I believe in this film. So that's also the first of many kills that happen in this movie with Jason shoving somebody's face against something. Yeah, he actually broke. When I say he, Kane Hodder broke a stuntman's nose in a particular scene that actually involved the writer Ted Farmer's character Dallas. Well, and we mentioned Stoney and Chick getting it on. God, I keep forgetting everybody's name. Her name was Kinsa. I did, through the second one, I I was like, who the fuck are these people? So, yeah, I paid a little bit more attention to them. Um, When he gets killed. Stoney, yeah. When Stoney gets killed, her scream is genuine. It is. I think she wasn't anticipating getting hit with the blood. Well, and the blood got in her eye. It did. It's like, (laughs) that ain't the the only thing that got in her eye. (laughs) 
considering there i'm gonna put it this way there's some little hot tarts on this film so this movie does sort of poke fun at some of the tropes in the franchise oh it certainly bit. does especially towards the end probably isaac's influence from what we understand right, exactly which i actually think is kind of neat because he kind of like goes it. a little bit meta with it especially at the end oh yeah but cool. with him sort of poking fun at some of the tropes how did they not explicitly make Azrael a stoner? Yeah, how did they not? Although, I do feel like they still tried to imply it because he had to get doped up for his arm. He did. He liked it. He even like you're pretty. But once again, back to them not having any sort of standards on this ship. He's doped up from getting his arm chopped off, and they put him in charge awesome. of carrying his own arm. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, oh, shit, bro, I forgot my arm. And so I'm going to return. He's like, oh, hey, arm. Yeah, he's supposed to be the prototypical fucking stoner. And he's even a gamer, we learn later on, which that's where he meets his doom. But that little sequence was pretty cool. Some of those simulations. Mm, no. Okay. The fucking simulation. How do the fucking simulations work? With them? I don't know what kind of projections they're using, but... So it's... No, so I don't agree with them, like them being in the game. Well, here's what I'm getting at. It's implied by the way that Jason interacts with the simulation and how integral that truly becomes later on in the movie. It's implied that it's a hard light simulation, except in that very first scene, the two assholes. It was Dallas and Azrael. Dallas and Azrael are sitting down hooked up like it's a VR simulation. They are, yeah. With it layered over top of them. And that means if it was hard light, then things like that dinosaur crashing around, or whatever it was, that monster crashing around, could have stepped on them. Could have fucked them up. But they were playing through virtual avatars that did not correspond to their real-life locations. Exactly. That was weird. You're right, especially when Choose they one popped or the out other. of the game. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you're saying with as far as the layering. That is kind of a weird concept. It was neat, but it is hard to explain. It goes a little bit beyond my comprehension at this point. I, I just don't think they thought it through enough. I don't think there is I an don't, explanation for it. I, I don't think yeah. that's one of the fucked parts of this movie. They're like, just fucking put it in. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> there was times... I feel like this has to be the byproduct of how many rewrites it sounds like there was. Oh, yeah. But some of the dialogue in this... Is so fucking ridiculous. It's cheesy, man. Corny. This movie can never be timeless because it absolutely, absolutely cements its date as a very, very particular date three times in like four minutes. It does. It states it blatantly like 2045 or 2455. That's over 400 years. That was probably the first two mentions (laughs) right there. And then like a minute and a half later, the professor mentions how old she is and first off he gets it wrong because he doesn't say how old she is he says how long that she's been frozen exactly but this is just like two minutes later 455 to be exact that's how long it's been since yeah since she's been frozen and that stasis but you're right she's not 455 she's 455 plus probably 25 six that yeah she's in her mid-20s mid to early 20s yeah something like that in that film with that time jump, I want to ask you, because okay. I know you're a bigger fan than me, and it's now 2018, 
This, this can no longer be timeless. You know that we're doing this in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 16, 17 years after the fact. How does it feel to know that you only have six more years of hockey before it gets outlawed? That's a very good point. I wanted to make... I'm glad you brought that up. All right. How does it feel to know that you only have six more years of hockey? You remember how that gets brought up? Maybe six more years of the NFL if these concussions keep happening. But. Yeah, I don't see that happen with hockey. Sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know if that was a jab at hockey fans because they were in Canada. So, like, man, everybody in Canada took offense to that, I bet. <laughs> That's how you know that the earth truly is not habitable, is because hockey went down in 2024. So 2024. So I've got six more solid years of watching hockey. Okay, I'll keep that in frame. But yeah, the funny part leading up to that statement was when they had discovered Jason in that cryogenic chamber. And one of the chicks, I think it was uh, Janessa, she was like, what is that? And she was like, oh, that's some kind of, she thought it was some kind of breathing apparatus, you mm-hmm. know, like this carbon exchange or some shit. And there's like, no, it's it's a hockey mask. KM goes and explaining it. And yeah, I was like, yeah, used from a sport band in the year 2024. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> I, but so with a mask, that is something I noticed about this movie. This is probably one of my least favorite iterations of the hockey mask itself. It had a different design to it, a little bit in the front. It almost had like a, I hate to say it like this, but almost like a pig snout beginning. I feel like as the franchise goes on after he gets the mask, it slowly conforms more and more to looking like oh, yeah. it's an extension yeah. of his of face yes. rather than something he puts on. An accessory. On. And I think taking that to a certain extent is a cool idea, but something about the design in this one just didn't look good. I wasn't a huge fan of either. I thought and something... I, I don't like the Uber Jason mask either. No, nah, it's all right. It's okay. I mean, I can kind of understand it for that time period too, like the design mm-hmm. and stuff. But the one thing I did kind of like when they were incorporating the mask from the, you know, the Jason Voorhees as opposed to the Uber Jason mm-hmm. was when that chick, Adrian, was cutting... And trying to get that little part of his brain out. Mm-hmm. But when she removed the mask, he had that kind of... But throughout the film, I don't get that impression. I felt like Jason as a whole felt too human. Like Kane Hodder. When I saw him through the mask, I was like, that doesn't feel like Jason. Dude, I had a hard time not seeing Kane Hodder through a lot of this movie. Some of the opening shots where you just see like the back like yeah, two-thirds of his head. That's some good if you at. know what Kane Hodder looks like, you can tell that that's, that's the like, back two thirds of Kane Hodder's dude. head. <laughs> yeah, because in the franchise itself, what I imagine or envision Jason with that part, it's like a gray, decaying, decomposing scalp, mm-hmm. as opposed to where he's got a fucking hairline and you know you can see his eyeball like and his human. Fl- I don't go off on a tangent, but it didn't feel authentic enough to me, which is ironic because he's been in three prior. So this is a huge fuck-up. Well, I'm going to point it out as a plot hole slash fuck-up. Yeah, it has its flaws. Right. (laughs) We know that. (laughs) For me, it's one of the things that helps push it into so bad it's good category. But when Mensa and the two others, I can't remember who it all is, but when the three of them bust in and fucking gun down Jason when he's about to kill Homeboy... The guy that lived through the Microsoft conflict. Oh, with the was Crutch. That's yeah. Crutch. So, okay, yeah, so I know what you're talking about. Okay. You know, Crutch is about to bite it, and the three pop up and fucking mow down Jason. There's something I noticed. Part of what happens in that scene is that Jason disappears. He did. He skeeted. So do you remember how this happened? Let me think about this for a second, because I do remember 
that guy was just kind of like minding his own business, doing a little bit of research or whatever the fuck he was doing. Jason appears and he sees him, which was kind of a cool shot. He sees him through this reflection and he's raising that machete. And then, yeah, he gets those rounds popped off. And there's like some explosions and shit inside there. The guy takes cover. They tell him to take off. I can't remember exactly what their conversation consisted of in that moment. But yeah, then he was like gone. Okay, so this is, so when they pop up and they start firing at him, first off, this fucking killed me. It was so funny. They did all the shots separately. They don't ever like show them shooting at him. You know what I mean? The I know shots are either yeah, yeah, right yeah. on him or right on them. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. When they start shooting, first off, he's only supposed to be like 20 feet away. And they're fucking spraying all around the room <laughs> like they're fucking shooting at Predator in the jungle. Yeah, exactly. Just keep spraying. They're both fucking just like just spraying back and forth. Just he's right there. There is a term for that. Do you know the term when people are pumping rounds like that? Fucking spray and pray? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I wrote in my notes. I'm like, why are they spray and praying? They are, man. He's exactly right there. Just make sure all your rounds hit him. Even Crutch is like, man, you guys ruined my shit. <laughs> Crutch is like, I survived the Microsoft conflict. I know how to shoot at this motherfucker. Gosh. Give me one of the guns. It's funny. The second thing is, <laughs> when he disappears, like I said, he's only 20 feet away. Well, he is on it. a slightly raised platform, but it's not something where if he fell down in any way, it would obstruct their view at all. He disappears when the camera cuts back to them. Yep. And then cuts back. To, yeah, exactly. Then he's gone. They would have seen anything that happens. But yeah, that'd be like... like <laughs> they, would have, I... they would have seen any way that he could it's have like, gotten hey, away. Where the fuck is he going? <laughs> but we can't. No, exactly. So no, you're right. There was cutaways. that it was only what was happening on camera was what they could see. That's funny. They were confined by that little space <laughs> in, in the frame. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. They cut away from him in that scene. The cue to the group, cue back to Jason, he was gone. He commences to fucking them up one by one. That's where that screw moment happens, too. Right. Which was pretty funny. That's another one of those lines where... Oh, I love it. Yeah. I thought it was good. They spun him like a screw. There was a little foreshadowing when the guy enters a room and passes by it, of course. And then later on, when... I think the character's name is... I want to say her name was Briggs in this. Mm -hmm. She discovers the guy. I can't remember his name. Sven or whatever. Condor. Where the fuck he was. She tells Mensa's character, yeah, he's screwed. Like, come on, man. But it's, I mean, some of that shit is hokey, but it's funny, too. If, you know, if you just don't take this movie serious. I didn't catch it till my second time viewing it through. But Mensa told them, oh, we're just going to take him down and then we'll shoot him in the knees to try to look like we followed orders. Yeah. The dude shoots him in the knees after he gets him hung up. He did. I was like, oh, shit, that's why he did it. I thought he was actually trying to keep He Jason still carried through. Away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he still carried through. I didn't catch that. I was like, oh, shit, he did tell him to do that. That's funny. Like, that's fucking funny. That kind of got the rocks good. off when he told him that, too. Mm-hmm. That was funny. But then, okay, so that happens, then that guy gets killed, and then Peter Mensa gets killed not too long after that, and then the whole shit with Solaris happens. Oh, man, that was fucked, wasn't it? That was another thing where this movie failed, because... That crash with Solaris, it failed in being a horror movie and mounting up tension. Because that scene is played like it's supposed to be a big harrowing ordeal for everybody still alive. Oh my gosh, yeah, this is funny. It should be a giant, like... It's a catastrophe. Yeah. 
okay, first off, it should be a catastrophe, but they spend all of like it didn't take very long for that five seconds afterwards being happened. like Solaris is gone. How oh, many people no. were on Solaris? That was an entire space station. First off, I read something about this. I'm glad you brought this up. Isaac mentioned like in I don't know if it was a Q and A session or an interview. He thought of that ship Solaris as being like the Death Star. He's like, so there would have probably been like couple thousand people on board that got blown up at that series of events so afterwards they Jesus. never give it the weight that it's due no but not even, even close even while it's happening given that peter mensah we all think he's spoiler he's not dead he's yet. not dead yet but at that point in the movie you think he's dead you haven't spent any time with lexi doig and probably at least half an hour at that point yeah a good stretch of time passes so you don't really care about any of the characters that are left no the best thing to happen is for their ship to be obliterated so that Jason can't continue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just cut, like, three-fourths, maybe seven-eighths of the crew out. <laughs> it's supposed to be this big harrowing moment. Jesus. And in all actuality, given that you don't really care about anybody left at that point, <laughs> the best thing that could happen would be for them to crash. Man, that whole series of events, I, I understand it, right? Fat Lou... The guy who plays that, he gets whacked. Jason fucks him up. I kind of like how Jason fucks him up, too. He surprises him with the head. Oh, that was pretty great. Yeah. Dude, there's some dope Jason kills in this movie. There are. I mean, you got to give it to Hodder. I knew that he was frustrated in this film. There were certain scenes in particular, which we'll mention a little bit. But he played a very brutal character in this film, whereas I don't feel like this movie was brutal in its essence. It just had its moments. Like, he had his moments. Yeah, he had some good kill sequences. Like I said, smash Dallas. That's where he broke the stuntman's nose. Slit girl's throat. Breaking people's necks. Breaking people's backs. Stabbing people through shit. <laughs> freezing people. Smashing their faces. I mean, he has great scenes. Fucks people up. Slices people in half. <laughs> Slops arms off. Like, damn, dude. So, another one of the genius meta moments, though, I thought... Slightly genius. It kind of rubs on me a little bit just because of how fucking stupid it also kind of is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but they're sort of just hanging fucking lampshade on when a KM and fucking what's his fucking dick Sunaron. Yeah. Sunaron. 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 God, what a fucking... No wonder you can't remember anybody's goddamn name in this movie. Well, here, here's why we probably don't know a lot of his fucking names. All right. Todd Farmer apparently was a big fan and player of EverQuest. A lot of these names are based off people he played with. their usernames in the game. So, like, a lot of their character names are based off of EverQuest character names. I'm so surprised we don't have, like, a sick boy 6969420 in this movie. 69-fucked-her-mom. 64. <laughs> But when they're like, Is, isn't there anything we can do to up our odds? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're talking about. <laughs> Them finally giving in to their love for each other. <laughs> but yeah. putting it in that scenario is literally just pointing out like fucking screenwriting tropes of how often having a couple characters in love increases the chances that they're going to make it through the movie. Yeah. And they even play on that trope. Yeah. You said they played a lot of tropes. That was definitely one of them. It turned her into a badass not too long after that. That's true. She um, went off. She did pretty well. I'm not a big fan of wire effects, but it was still pretty cool. Yeah, I paused it at a moment where she was blasting Jason. And in that moment, as I was taking a snapshot, I saw where you could see a little bit of that wire rig pulling him. <laughs> I was like, oh, there it is. Yep. Oh, yep. There it is. Yep. 
Yeah, totally, totally. Never been the biggest fan of wire effects, but nah. they, they have their place. And I mean, the initial shot—it's to be expected yeah. with the type of action that they're trying to convey. I would agree with that. I wanted to mention <laughs> that blow-up sequence really quick with Solaris because I, I went off on a tangent. Forgot what the fuck I was saying, but when it wrecks after Lou gets killed and the warnings are given, you're coming in too fast, and they wreck. Even the wreck itself, they're just like whoa, like a little roller coaster ride. Then it explodes. You don't see the explosion like in the frame. You see it in the monitors on board of Grendel, which we need to mention that Grendel's... Oh, the ship. Yeah, and it's based off Beowulf, for those who don't know. Mm-hmm. Even the other ship that later rescues them... Tiamat. Uh, Tiamat, yeah. It plays on mythology, Babylonian, so there you go. Use a lot of those names, but... I just like... Throwing you're right. monsters into... <laughs> yeah. I just felt, man, that explosion... It's just too unrealistic. Even the shockwave, they're like, here it comes. <laughs> I did want to mention that a little bit, because that uh, felt contrived to me. You know, I can forgive it, though, because I don't take this movie too serious. As we get towards the end, back into the game, as far as cool kills go, yes, awesome fucking Friday the 13th 7 callback. Oh, yeah. Slamming the... Uh, and super bags. Yeah. Oh, that was totally an example of Hotter being frustrated on set. Of course, that's a throwback, but he had to do that so many takes that he was like, fuck it. He just slammed it and then walked off set. And they were like, all right, that's a wrap. <laughs> Even some of the music, too. Like what, We love premarital oh, sex. That's, I wrote down for that scene. They spell it out. I was like, we love beer. We love smoking pot. There comes the boobies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, yes. And then you're right. We love premarital sex. And they go into their sleeping bags. And then shortly thereafter, Jason's like, all right, clean so, kills. I so this uh, so my fir- my thought when that scene happened and how he sort of draws it. Okay, so first I want to mention good. that afterwards, or they mentioned that oh he's almost done with them and stuff. And KM's had mentioned <laughs> something like oh he's good, like she didn't expect it him to go through it so quickly. Yeah, yeah. I thought to myself first off, like first off he didn't do it quickly. He literally took a long and elaborate way of drawing out the situation. He could have stabbed them and been over with it. Beating them with each other. Each other. (laughs) And then into the tree. And then into the tree. Yeah. And to me, it kind of felt like that's basically porn for Jason. Like having that situation just offered up to him on a fucking plate. That that was basically Jason. Jason simulated That's porn. Jason jerking off, basically. Yeah. Is him smashing one camper into another when it's just offered up on a plate for him. And taking the extra time because he yeah. very easily could have killed them both in seconds. Oh, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, he could snap their necks, stab them, whatever. <clears throat> now, I it's haven't funny. read it. This makes me want to. Okay. This makes that scene kind of fucked up. In the novelization for Jason X, it does take him a couple extra seconds because he thinks that, like him, they are mentally retarded. Oh. And wonders if they're as impaired as he is. Okay. How fucked up is that? (laughs) Damn. Yeah. I did not see that coming at all. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Maybe. That makes that scene... Yeah, that's fucked up. Messed up, dude. <laughs> God damn it. That is funny. <laughs> it, make, it kind of makes me want to read the novelization of Jason X. <laughs> X gonna give it to us. What are some moments that stand out? I know there's a lot of moments that, of course, are kind of like, yeah, we hope we've mentioned a lot of them. But what are some standout moments to you? 
I mean, I, I think I already got super excited about the big standout moments for me being the fucking the shattered face. That was really cool. The screw, partially because that's what introduced me to this movie, really. I mean, I love the ending sort of sets it up that I feel like you could go on. Yeah, it, certainly. You, you can have could. Space Jason somehow resurrecting from the portion Earth, of the map. part two meets yeah. Jason, part 11. <laughs> I want to see the fucking adventures of future Jason. Good. I think they did some comics too, but I never followed it. I want somebody like uh, I don't know, maybe like Neil Marshall, who knows how to have a good time. That's true. <laughs> to take it. up, uh, you know. Oh my god! Jason in space being resurrected from that. We've already talked about Event Horizon. Yeah, maybe that could be where the ship goes next. <laughs> Earth two. Maybe. Gosh, that'd be funny. Maybe some of. Uh, Brodsky's DNA is also on it, so now we have a black Jason. <laughs> Damn, you could go that route. There are some pretty interesting things. One thing I do like about this film, and this is kind of neat too for that time period with nanotechnology and things like that, was the concept of regeneration, and they played with that. And I thought it was kind of neat. They mentioned, you know, Jason had an extraordinary effect of having regeneration on his tissue and they couldn't understand it and that's why Cronenberg's character wanted to study him take him out to Scranton mm -hmm. uh, now we mentioned Isaac working on some of Cronenberg's films and because of that Cronenberg was like all right I'll you know I'll do a cameo as long as you let me die on camera oh okay so that's why <clears throat> we get to see him it's a little bit prolonged you know that's but he true. does good I think Cronenberg yeah, no did yeah, a great job great little job in his little part if you did not know who he was, you probably wouldn't have thought any different. You probably thought, oh, he's just an extra actor, pretty decent. Probably a Canadian actor. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'll go off into things that I kind of wish I would have seen happen in a movie, mm -hmm. since you brought up the regeneration aspect. Also, especially with the technology on board the ship that they can use to regenerate. Yeah, that was a really cool what effect. What I thought would have been a really cool scene when I was watching this movie and something kind of Jason-y is, I think it would have been cool if at some point the group pretty much mostly got away from him without him really knowing for sure where they're at. Yeah. And finding him on the ship monitors with somebody strapped down onto one of the hospital beds where he's just constantly stabbing them <laughs> and letting them get rehealed. <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> You're like a 3% regenerated 98. <laughs> yeah. Just as We're just you emulating sort of, stabbing. Just like almost, <laughs> just almost just like mindless, just repetitious movement as he can just continually stab them. It's uh, simulated mining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was watching, I was like, oh man, that would have been a really fun idea just to have Jason just fucking just... Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't like how they incorporated using the nanotechnology and the bots and how they showed it on the monitors, how all that shit works. It's like, that was, that was kind of neat because probably not in the too distant future, some of that stuff might work in medicine. I mean, to what extent, who knows? Mm -hmm. But I still thought it was kind of unique that they went that route, especially in that time period. I thought it was a little bit ahead of its time. I did want to mention one more thing, kind of Event Horizon-esque, was toward the end of the film, Janessa... She's hanging on to the crates, and they have that moment where you get the, mm -hmm. you know, they're losing pressure in that cabin. I was like, all right, <laughs> much like Event Horizon where they're rushing this shit at the end, there's this rescue going on. It's like they have that moment. But then when she goes through the grate and through, I guess, the hole of the ship, you just have a little splot. It's like, mm. Yeah. That was a hard sort of cutaway. 
that kind of took. I mean, I knew it was already hokey. She even has a hokey line like, "It's like this is so messed up in so many ways." And yeah, and then she flies. This off. sucks in so many. Yeah, nah. right now, yeah, she has a lot of those lines in the film. But I was like, all right, there's your event horizon. Oh yeah, moment. she was basically like Snarkbot three thousand throughout this film. Through the whole thing. No, I didn't have anything against her. No, no, it it just adds to the charm of this movie for me. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean they have their moments. Like I said, it's I felt through and through. If you're familiar with Canadian productions, this movie's right at home. Canadian actors. It's good. I've seen them in a lot of different things. And I was honestly not impressed with film, Lexa Doig in no, she did every a really scene good. she was in. All right, here's a little shout-out to those who are familiar. I'm a little bit Asian. Not as much as probably I should be, but a little bit. She's Filipino, and she has a line. I wish I would have written it down, but she has a line in, later on in the film. She's conversing with one of the other ladies on the board. I can't remember if it was that chick who was having a meltdown at the end and blew up the shuttle like a dumbass. But... A little bit of that Filipino slipped out in one of her lines. I heard it. <laughs> and the reason I heard it and the reason I recognize it is because I've been listening to a lot of, I think I told you, Tiger Belly podcast. Oh, yeah. And Bobby Lee's girlfriend. She's mm-hmm. Filipino. And they talk about it a lot. And I hear them say shit. So I caught it. That's <laughs> like, oh, damn. I wanted to make mention. But aside from that, you're right. She did a really good job for her character. Kane Hodder was a good Jason. Everybody did a good job for their part. I'll put it this way. It's not the worst film we're ever going to mention. Oh, no. Not even close. It's not the best one. When we rank them, how would you rank this one amongst all of ours in the catalog? How would you stack this one up? Oh, let me see. What Like, what would my... uh... I had to think about this. Like, what are some... And this is harsh, kind of harsh to say, like... We've covered yeah. some really good films. I uh, won't you know say how any I would film. Rank it? Yeah. It passes. <laughs> it passes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. You got my attention now. It's like that would have been fun. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would agree. I, I don't know how I would like, and I don't want to do that with any of the films. But Look, for me, like the so bad it's good. Is I definitely very that subjective. Like, it is. It certainly is. For my So Bad is Good is definitely going to be different than somebody else's So Bad is exactly. Good. And some people don't get into So Bad is Good at all. That is a very valid point, man. It's like you either, you're right, either you get it or you don't. Or even if you don't yeah. get it, you still like, fuck this. So, I mean, it makes it very hard and you're right. to like subjective put it on very any kind point. of scale, like 65 of 100 or yeah. fucking whatever, 6 point... You know, uh, it's, for me, it checks the basis of how I want to see Jason portrayed. I like Jason as an unstoppable force of nature. Oh, he's a force to be reckoned with, even when he's getting mowed down. Mm -hmm. I like the Jason that, because he's always been slightly supernatural, can be around every corner. Yeah. I wish that that was presented better in this format. or, Or... I mean, for this movie, it works because it pushes it into the. Well, so yeah, that's a good, good point. That's right. But I do wish that for the horror part of me that likes Jason, yeah, like I would like that in a better atmosphere than this, <laughs> where there's actual terror behind him, yeah. possibly being behind every corner. But I like a Jason that sort of has a little bit of like script invulnerability, where he can kind of do anything he needs to do, like in the very beginning when he fucking shoves his normal machete yeah. through the fucking 
Isn't that a chamber door? That door to stab Lexa Doig. I did like that, too, because even the pullout looked... Oh, well, that was later on thing where she gets stabbed, and you mm-hmm. see the pullout. Maybe it was that sequence. But yeah, it, anyhow, yeah, it was good. I mean, that was classic. Even though that he just shoved a machete through, like, three inches of steel. <laughs> yeah. I like a Jason that pushes that Those kind boundaries. of bounds. Like I said, this is like watching Shark Week for me. Yeah, it's a fun... It really is a fun movie, man. Going into this and knowing that we were going to cover this film, we all have our reservations. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to... I don't know how I'm going to feel about this. The first watch through, I was like, oh, this shit is fucking hokey as fuck. <laughs> and then when as I was taking my notes for this one and watching it and, you know, being a little bit more lenient, I was like, man, this is actually a pretty fun film, dude. Like, I don't know what it is about Canadians, all right? I'm going to throw this out there. Any of our Canadian listeners... Let me know if I'm going way off base here. But we watched Scanners, watched this film. There's only two I can base this off because there's two Canadian films we've done. But they like fucking guns, dude. There's a lot of guns in Scanners. There's a lot of guns in this movie. Yeah. A lot of shooting. And a lot of it's pretty decent. A lot of it, like you said, it's spray and pray. One of it's kind of cool where she actually blows up Jason's face. Oh, that was dope. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, their use of firearms is what I'm getting at. It's like a little bit more than I anticipated for Canadians. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And, I mean, I know Hobo with a shotgun. I mean, shotgun's implied in the name, right? I know that's Canadian through and through. So that's three films I'm going to reference there. Prove me wrong that Canadians don't like their guns. Yeah, I, I can't argue I said that, something yeah. I noted. One more reference, and then I'll leave it alone. But we talked about uh, Manfredini. He did pay homage in one of the sequences... Back to part two. Okay. And the music with that, we had mentioned. So, you know, you were right. They were playing a lot of homages. I thought that was really cool. With names, with the music, with scenes, shit like that. Like I said, it's a good solid film if you're just looking to have a good time. Nothing too serious if you just want something a little bit on the lighthearted edge that gives you just enough over the top slashers, you know, feel. I'd watch it again for sure. Oh, I yeah, definitely am. For sure. Not anytime soon, but I will. I'm kind of curious about the commentary. I'll put it okay. I so, okay, might actually, and now up you're playing. Now you're Blu-ray. playing a little bit with my, my feelings. <laughs> I might actually end up buying the Blu-ray to this. Not gonna lie, that's a, a lot of the reasons why I've been getting a lot of films recently is mainly for commentaries <coughs> and behind the scenes. I love that shit, man. I'm a sucker for it. So I don't know. I, I put it this way. I might not. I'm curious though. I wouldn't mind watching that aspect of it. Yeah, just to hear those two go at it a little bit. That being said, though, this movie is now behind us because yes. we have next week planned out. Oh, yes, we do. We did mention we had back-to-back, right? Planned. Back-to-back holiday episodes. Uh, the first holiday, of course, being Friday the 13th. Which we just of celebrated. Of course, always important being a horror fan. Absolutely uh, the necessary. The second holiday, also Relates tying into a giant part of this podcast, we have our 420 episode yes. coming up. Which is arguably our favorite holiday. Right. In order to celebrate, we are not going to do anything different because we are going to get, we get fucking... We are going to get definitely roasted. Yeah. Spoilers, uh, we're going to get roasted. Well, maybe we'll figure out something to do special. That'd be fun, yeah. I have ideas, but we'll see. Name that strain. <laughs> if we figure out something yeah, we'll special figure, or not, yeah. what already is going to be special is we have the movie picked. Yeah, should we mention it? Stoner horror comedy. Oh, Idle Hands. Mm, dude, I love that film. I'm, I'm so really looking forward to talking about that. I haven't watched it in far too long. It's been a few years, not gonna lie. I'm due. 
So that's going to happen. That's 100% going to happen. We're going to have a good movie. goddamn time doing yes, it. Yes, dude. For a lot of reasons in that film, particularly, yes. So in order to join us for that, also we're probably not going to actually release it on 420, just to let you know. It's probably going to be the same way that this is formatted a few days before. You're not going to remember to download it on 420. Probably not. <laughs> so listen to it beforehand, then go back. Save it. Yeah. Or after, or Either whatever. Way. Either just way. Just know, that's why. Idle hands. Mighty Joe Bong. <laughs> oh, yes, dude. Fuck yes. In order to listen to that, we would absolutely love it if you would subscribe to this podcast, however you are currently listening to it. If you don't like how you are currently listening to it, please go to our website, www.friedsquirms.com, where we have links to the most popular players up at the top, and you can stream us down at the bottom, always with the latest episode. Please talk to us on Facebook. That would be awesome. Thank you again, Tori. Everybody who's messages, like I said recently, yeah, Mark Wand. We've mentioned this, and we've done this out there, too. If you podcast, or if you're any way involved with horror, if you'd like to collaborate, let us know. I mean, we're, we're definitely up for ideas. to figure out something to do. Yeah. Instagram, Fried Squirms Podcast. Twitter, Twitter. at Fried Squirms. I'm going to try starting to use Twitter more. Like, Twitter. the way that people actually use Twitter, like, yeah, we have thoughts really and shit throughout with the day. A whole bunch, but yeah, that makes sense. Rather than just using it to, like, pimp our show, like, whenever a new episode drops. Yeah. That's literally all we've been using it for. And that's okay. And I feel like we're getting used to this social <laughs> we're media thing. We're yeah, getting there. Yeah, I mean, we're still, you know, we're I kind of plan on trying to actually start to use Twitter, so it's possibly just going to end up being Tyler's day. Might be fun still. Whatever, that will yeah. give you another insight to us, I guess. That's what tweets are about, like yeah, exactly. God, what else? I mentioned... Facebook, we mentioned, Instagram, Twitter, Twits. Twit, the, the, tweet, tweet. The tweet things. I'd be uh, much appreciated, too, if you listen to us on iTunes to at least make a comment, review us. Yeah, that would be great if you could rate us. I think that's it. Yeah. So. Oh, uh, email us squirmcast. Oh yeah, you can definitely do that, and you can like so you can message us on our website. So, just stalk us. Yeah, we love it. I don't mind being stalked. That's what some of the appeal of horror is, anyways, being stalked. Right. Fucking. Let's turn this into a stalking, like... creepy, psychological, possibly home invasion. Hmm. I'm okay with that. I even don't mind, you know, having entities more or less me in my sleep. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. That's feelers. <laughs> what Danny said. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's just how we're kidding, ending this episode. And with that, fried squirms. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>